Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm back. I didn't go anywhere. Don't worry. It's your host, Tyler Quinlan here, of course, with 20 Minutes with Tyler. But today, actually, listeners, we're going to have a special episode, special extended episode. Uh, and as some of you may know, it's Oscar season among us. And one of my favorite pro- uh, pastimes is, of course, watching and following the drama and controversy surrounding the best picture, best actor, who should win, who shouldn't, somebody gets snubbed, what stupid dress did somebody wear all that i'm into it i i get behind it i get the point but for this episode specifically i thought why not rewind it back a little bit and look into a historic year for the best picture and that year would be the 1995 academy awards it is the year in which ladies and gentlemen you might want to sit down for this one with three iconic culture shifting films were all nominated for best picture those would be Forrest Gump, Pulp Fiction, and The Shawshank Redemption. Of course, there were two other nominees as well. Quiz Show, a Robert Redford-directed movie about the quiz show scandal in the 50s, and Four Weddings and a Funeral, a rom-com that, well, I've never seen or heard of before. So what we're going to do is just talk about these films, look at some technical aspects of it, as, as well as show some appreciation to it. Because, like most of you, I am just a fan of great film, and, well, this is three of my favorite films of all time, and I imagine a lot of other people have that, too. I would categorize it as, like, films where it's on TV, you're going to turn it on and watch it. You might have commercials, so you might be skipping forward some sports game or something. I know I always do that. But if Forrest Gump is on TV, you're going to at least watch 20 or 30 minutes of it. At least. I've never heard of anybody who can't. Okay, And I think it could be important also in this episode to look at some historical facts about the Oscars, Uh, like how they came about, who is the Academy, and how the culture and coverage has changed over the years. As well as, like, I've always been interested in this, the numbers in which one picture needs to, how many votes one picture needs to receive to be nominated. I think that's pretty interesting because there's hundreds and hundreds of films that enter the chance to be nominated but how did them how do they choose the winners how do they choose the nominees so we're gonna go into that a little bit and like i said earlier it's gonna be extended episode we're gonna do 60 minutes so no no more 20 minutes with tyler it is 60 minutes with tyler thank you for listening and i hope you subscribe and also please don't sue me cbs It's maybe a little harder for some of the younger listeners, like myself, to grasp the impact these films had on the public that year. Forrest Gump is one of the highest-grossing, most critically acclaimed nostalgia pieces of narrative film ever. It saw Tom Hanks live through the 60s and 70s and be involved in some of America's major moments in the 20th century. Pulp Fiction is Quentin Tarantino's coming-out party, and although we had prior films like Reservoir Dogs, this was a way more anticipated picture and caught eyes of film fans of fans of film with its really great casting. Bruce Willis, Sam L. Jackson, John Travolta, Uma Thurman, Harvey Keitel, the list goes on. And both of these were well received during its release. But the third 
was not initially as promoted, as highly promoted and, well, accepted, really. It was not well regarded as the others, put it that way. Shawshank, and of course, I'm talking about Shawshank. It was a slept-on film back in the day, believe it or not. Some, though, nowadays, of course, I'd actually say a lot of people would argue that it's the greatest of the three films. As well as one of the greatest ever. So why did it get less love during its initial release? We will go more in depth later about that. And for the format of this episode, I'm going to try to individually study the three movies first. And even look at those other two films that were nominated that year. And then at the end, we're going to wrap up with some Oscars facts, like I said earlier. So let's move into the first film. The winner of the 1995 Oscar for the Best Picture, Forrest Gump. Sometimes we had so many people staying with us that every room was filled with travelers, you know. Folks living out of their suitcases and hat cases and sample cases. One time a young man was staying with us and he had him a guitar case. told you not to bother this nice young man. Oh, no, that's all right, ma'am. I-, I was just showing him a thing or two on the guitar here. Well, all right, but your supper's ready if y'all want to eat. Yeah, that sounds good. Thank you, ma'am. Say, man, sh- show me that crazy little walk you just did there. Slow it down some. You ain't nothing but a I like that guitar. It sounded good. I started... Moving around the music, swinging my hips. This one night, me and Mama was out shopping, and we walked right by Benson's Furniture and Appliance Store. And guess what? You ain't nothing but a Some years later, that handsome young man who they called the king, well, he sung too many songs. Had himself a heart attack or something. Must be. So I know at this point, there's already so much known about Forrest Gump that I'm not going to go exhaust the basics. But what I think is important to go over is how the movie was being regarded in 95, or excuse me, 94, as well as check out the numbers it did. To start... Before even nominations were announced, the Oscar buzz was heavy for Gump. It was a box office superstar. It grossed over $660 million in ticket sales. It was a film that a majority of America America was rallying behind. It was a patriotic fist pump. Gump is a slow-witted war hero who becomes a million-dollar entrepreneur. He happens to coincidentally be involved with some of the country's most important moments, people, and movements. His positive reinforcement on so many things was a feel-good thing for a country at the time. And its audience appreciated that as well. I mean, 666 million is a lot of tickets. So that means people are going multiple times just because every time they watch it, they had a really good feeling doing it. 
I think one of my favorite scenes, or maybe the one that I remember the most from Gump, is when he's in Vietnam and his unit is caught in an ambush. He's a speed demon. Okay, I mean, he's outrunning bombs. He's looking also for his buddy, Bubba Blue. He saves about five or six guys in the process of looking for him. And, you know, I guess this is a spoiler, but I think everyone's seen this movie at this point. Bubba don't make it alive, unfortunately. But Gump just, like I said, saves six people. Bing, bang, boom, bomb. Like it's nothing. It's one of the many incredibly filmed scenes from that picture. I'm sure we could have a conversation about the top 25 scenes from the entire film and do an entire episode on that. But we're not going to because we're just going to stick to the format. Stick to the format. There is no one else who could have played him as as effectively as Hanks did, by the way. His performance is unbelievable. I mean, when you think Tom Hanks, a lot of people are just going to write right from the get-go say, Forrest Gump. Oh, I remember him in Forrest Gump. Oh, my favorite one of his is Forrest Gump. It's an iconic scene, an iconic character. But honestly, what's crazy is how great yet how small of a sample size this role is in terms of his acting ability. I mean, he's like I said, he's definitely one of those beloved characters, but he's had Hanks has had such a prolific career that there are definitely valid arguments for other choices. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna argue against that. You know, that combined with the hype that it was getting and looking across the board that year. Gump was almost included in every major category. It received 13 nominations and won six. The soundtrack, which I think is one of the best touches in that movie, it is regarded as one of the best ever as well. Hound Dog, Elvis, Mrs. Robinson, Simon and Garfunkel, Fortunate Son, Creedence Clearwater. I mean, the list goes on. The Doobie Brothers, Bob Dylan, Gladys Knight. There's another movie with a memorable soundtrack, that was nominated here. And it just so happens to be the next movie we're going to talk about. And that movie is Pulp Fiction. An up-and-coming Hollywood prodigy is in the midst of his best work to date. Some people are claiming he's overhyped. Some are saying he's the greatest storyteller since Hitchcock. Others don't know who he is, let alone what the hype is about. But the buzz after Reservoir Dogs from Hollywood in the West Coast was strong enough to get Tarantino's new film seven nominations. It won the award for best screenplay, deservedly so. The non-linear storyline was such a great idea in my opinion. Nothing beats the first time watching this movie. And although it may be a little confusing, you're still on edge, you're still on the edge of your seat, ready for the next altercation, any moment. And the anticipation after those stories end, then you watch the second and the third part, you're like, what could possibly go on here? And then you find out that they connect, and it's even better. Another one I think that people that people do talk about, but I think it just gets swept under the rug because it's so common is the quote from this movie 
I mean, there are so many great quotes in this movie. We happy? Vincent! We happy? Yeah, we happy. Look, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I didn't get your name. I got yours, uh, Vincent. Right? But but I, I never got you. My name's Pitt. And your ass ain't talking your way out of this shit. No, no, no. I just want you to know. How... I just want you to know how sorry we are that, that things got so fucked up with us and, and Mr. Wallace. You, you, we, we got into this thing with the best intentions, really. I never... Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? I didn't mean to do that. Please, continue. You were saying something about best intentions? What's the matter? Oh, you were finished? Oh, well, allow me to retort. What does Marcellus Wallace look like? What? What country are you from? What? What? What ain't no country I ever heard of. They speak English and what? What? English, motherfucker! Do you speak it? Yes. Then you know what I'm saying. Yes. Describe what Marcellus Wallace looks like. What? Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. I double dare you, motherfucker. Say what one more goddamn time. He's black. Go on. He's bald. Does he look like a bitch? What? Does he look like a bitch? No! Then why you try to fuck him like a bitch, Brett? I didn't. Yes, you did. Yes, you did, Brett. You tried to fuck him. No. Well, Marcellus no. Wallace don't like to be fucked by anybody except Mrs. Wallace. You read the Bible, Brett? Yes. Well, there's this passage I got memorized. Sort of fixes this occasion. Ezekiel 25, 17. The path of the righteous man is beset on all sides by the inequities of the selfish and the tyranny of evil men. Blessed is he who in the name of charity and goodwill shepherds the weak through the valley of darkness, for he is truly his brother's keeper and the finder of lost children. And I will strike down upon thee with great vengeance and furious anger those who attempt to poison and destroy my brothers and you will know my name is the lord when i lay my vengeance upon thee now i know you guys have heard me talk about these other movies in the past and looked at the cast kind of in depth and either critiqued it or you know criticized the decisions a director made for choosing this or producer whatever it may be but with pulp fiction i can't critique anything because along with its outstanding cinematography the cast fits the bill as well it's packed with a-listers sam l jackson travolta bruce willis uma thurman ving rames tim roth christopher walken harvey keitel and even quentin himself spoiler he plays the guy who he plays the guy whose vincent house whose house vincent and jules go to to clean up their car after accidentally shooting the kid. I'd imagine anyone who is listening to this either is or knows somebody, knows someone who is a diehard Tarantino fan. 
He's had one of the most prolific directing careers in Hollywood. We know that. That's a given at this point. I saw his latest movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and loved it. It's a movie I can totally see people not enjoying, though, like the others he has made. For There's numerous reasons why. One, the length, probably. The length really throws some people off. But really, less violence, and it's more of like an appreciation piece of L.A. and Hollywood in the 60s. Something he did in that one, which is similar to Pulp, though, and a lot of his other work, is go very in-depth with his characters. He lays a foundation and personal story to every character that speaks on screen. Well, I don't know that for a fact, but it seems like he does. And I think it's always standing out for me, because I am someone who believes that effective character development is crucial and effective, of course, to any great story. And it's easier for an audience to gravitate towards these characters. Most likely because they can feel a connection and realize why the character is doing some of the things he or she is doing. And no, personally, I am not a diehard, stick-out-my-neck-for-Tarantino kind of fan, but I'm a fan nonetheless. And this now takes us into the third film. And of course, everyone, that third movie is The Shawshank Redemption. Directed by Frank Darabont. And now, I feel like he's wrote over a hundred books that have been turned to movies, but this film, of course, in particular, is based off Stephen King's novella, Different Seasons. Stephen King, New England guy, shout out to the local people. The Shawshank Redemption is an outstanding film about two imprisoned men coming to, the understand, coming to understand the concept and consequences of hope. The brutal environment that surrounds its main protagonist, Andy Dufresne, played by Tim Robbins, is appalling and kind of eye-opening. The other character, of course, Morgan Freeman's. I remember when I was younger, this was one of the first pieces I saw portraying what jail life was like. The main takeaway I had it from back then was actually, don't go to that place, whatever you do, don't end up in that place, because that place is hell. But now being older and having seen other prison-focused films, documentaries, and, you know, just being an adult now, I feel sympathy for Andy and how he had to go through this when he had not even committed the crime. I always think about how many other people in this country are in similar situations like Dufresne, in jail over something they never actually did. How many of them fight to get out? But how many of them accept the fact that life isn't fair or justice is not always served. Or, if they are successful in getting out, how many of them turn back around and end up back in prison or dead? Because the only life they knew for the last 25 years was the one inside a locked room without the key. It's the unfortunate truth. And it's just one of the few or some of the many questions and ideas that come from watching this 1994 film. Yes, this is the 95 Oscars podcast, but the film did release in 1994, but was eligible for the 95 Oscars. And that is something we'll get into after this about some of the fact, frequently asked questions of the Oscars, some tidbits, like how winners are chosen and who is the Academy. But like I mentioned, that's coming up later at the end. Before that, I'd like to let you know about the reception that the Shawshank Redemption was receiving at the time of this release. Outside of the Academy, 
the outstanding praise for this film did not come until years after its release. Many thought it was subpar. It was kind of a forgotten film of 94. Its October release date could have been attributed to it, but I think this is just a great example of some things aging like fine wine. Famed critic Roger Ebert had to say this in 94, a few weeks before its theatrical release, saying, But mostly, the film is an allegory about holding on to a sense of personal worth, despite everything. If the film is perhaps a little slow in its middle passages, maybe that is the part of the idea too, to give us a sense of the lead-in passage of time before the glory of the final redemption. He had some mixed emotions about the pace, clearly, and as well as the double as the doubt of uh, impact it would have on the audience later down the line. What was also really ironic to see was the three and a half stars he gave it. I don't think I've ever seen less than four and a half stars for Shawshank, but it's actually great to be able to see an example of a movie that people change their minds about later down the road. And I guess this could be a bit of a pat on the back to the Academy for noting that and acknowledging it during its initial release. So yes... We have talked about the big three pictures, but you know what? Hey, I am someone who fights for the little guy. It's about time they get a shot at the title. Am I right? Unfortunately for the little guy, who can also be identified as quiz show in Four Weddings and a Funeral, they happen to be going up against three more than qualified opponents. I compare it to trying to win a home run race when your competition is Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire, and Sammy Sosa. There's just no chance. Nonetheless, I wanted to look over both movies briefly to get an idea of the numbers uh, they were doing during the release and a little background as well. But first, here's a quick trailer of Quiz Show directed by Robert Redford. Geritol presents the exciting quiz program 21. Give me the name of the explorer who discovered Mozambique. Vasco da Gama? Correct, for 10 points. Temple is an underdog. Well, people root for that. Sure, wasn't Herbie terrific? Have you seen the ratings? I'd like you to meet next week's challenger, Charles Van Doren. Hello. How much do they pay instructors up at Columbia? $86 a week. Do you have any idea how much Bozo the Clown makes? Gotta be James J. Braddock. Correct, you have 21! Is this guy a natural or what? He's a natural. <laughs> $20,000. What if we would ask you questions that you know? Well, I think I'd really rather try to beat him honestly. Just an idea. Was that part of the test? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know his name. Halleck, General H.W. Halleck. You have 21! I'm constantly amazed at the facts these guys have at their fingertips. It's been nine weeks now. And you've won how much? $93,000. Sir, I smell something. That little box in your living room is plugged into something crooked. You lose when I tell you to lose. Now, I'm supposed to take a dive? You know, you got these crackpots coming out of the woodwork. You don't have a shred of concrete evidence. Young man, I am the president of the National Broadcasting Company. I have you. And why are you the one that's sweating? Let him out, boys. Charles Van Dorn hails from one of the most prominent intellectual families in this country. Dixon, a witch hunt. He thinks 21 is rigged. Is it?
You should see the letters I get. Kids are excited about learning. You set a real example for all us boys to look up to. Just sign the statement. Sign the statement, her. Sign the statement. Who cares if it's true, huh? Heck. Damn. If someone offered you all this money, would you do it? No. And I would. Professor, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to ask for your answer. If you didn't understand, you will now. It's about how the TV wigs broadcasting a game show rigged the game because they believe ratings and views was more important than the integrity of a game show. People's lives were affected and altered. And it looks like a really good movie. And it looks like a really good picture. And it's uh, clearly, I think, well-deserving of a nominee. Nomination, at least. I'm, and I'm definitely going to have to see it. Because Money Talks, though, let's go over that a little bit. Its budget was $7 million higher than what it did at the box office, making only $24 million. Clearly not a positive for any production studio or any actor involved. Well, any at least that had their money as a percentage for how much the film would make. Hopefully no one got that involved. This is actually a little similar to The Shawshank Redemption because... The initial reaction to it may have not been good, but now if you go on Rotten Tomatoes and look at Quiz Show, it has a, over a 90% rating. Um, and is, I think it regards one of the best movies on that site, really. What's funny, though, is its critical reception outside of North America was rather pleasant. Their audience believed the characters played by John Tortora and Ralph Fiennes were about above average, to say the least. For the final nominee, we get a British rom-com directed by Mike Newell. It includes Hugh Grant, which, interestingly enough, this is the first of several film partnerships between him and screenwriter Richard Curtis. It follows the adventures of the protagonist and his circle of friends through a number of social occasions, each encountering their own romance. The box office numbers were crazy for this movie, bringing in just under $250 million. After reviewing all these films and seeing how much they made, I have to ask about how much people were spending on movie tickets each year. There was so much money going around. I mean, all these movies did a ton of numbers. And there's, there's got to be at least four or five from 94 and 95 that aren't nominated that are just as much. Crazy. Of course, today's numbers are inflated like hell, but still, I'm kind of shocked to see that happen during the 90s. But anyways, enough of me talking. Here's a clip. Charlie? Remember Bombay? When that... Charles and I were going out, he told me he'd had this interesting journey around India with vomiting Veronica. I, I think that was it. I, I don't remember ever mentioning it. Maybe, maybe I did. Oh, come on, Charles. I don't think I've ever been out with anyone less discreet. Well, I don't think that's probably a bit of an exaggeration, isn't it, Mark? It is not. I remember you going on about this girl, Helena, was it? Whose mother made a pass at you. I remember this. <laughs> you couldn't work it out whether it would be impolite not to accept her advances. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Mrs. Piggy, Helena was Miss Piggy, so her mother was Mrs. Piggy. 
I, I, I think perhaps it was a, it was a... We've both lost a lot of weight since then. Okay, since CBS told me I couldn't use 60, we're going to keep it around 40. So it's going to be 40 minutes now with Tyler. And I think this is a great time to transition into our final reading for the day and for the episode. An article about the Oscar numbers and how many votes it takes to get a real nomination and then how much, in turn, will you need to get a win? We're going to find out what an article here from therapTV.com titled, Oscars by the Numbers, How Many Votes Does It Take to Get a Nomination? So, you know, as a fan of the Oscars, I did always wonder, how do these pictures get nominated? How do the nominations each get their own scale? Do they get graded A, B, C, D, or is it 1 through 100, or what is it? But luckily, with this article we're going to read today, it's going to show us a few points about how the members persuade the members can choose the nominations and then persuade 300 of them that your film is the best. So let's start. The Academy is made up of more than 6,000 members, but to land a Best Picture nomination, you only need to persuade 300 of them that your film is the year's best. That's one lesson from the RAP's annual calculation of how many votes it takes to secure a nomination in the 24 Oscar categories. The Academy has compiled its annual list of the eligible members in each branch, which this year showed that voting membership has passed the 6,000 mark for the first time since the Oscars began restricting the number of new members more than a decade ago. And now that they've revealed that their membership has grown to 6,028 potential votes, and more than 6,800 6, members of all kinds, we can do the math and figure out the magic numbers for each category. These numbers are predicated on the idea that every eligible voter will cast a ballot. Obviously, that's not true. Although, PricewaterhouseCoopers has said that the voter participation is extremely high, and the Academy reported a record number of voters for the last Oscars. The numbers depend on the size of each branch or voting body, as well as the number of nominations up for grabs. Under the preferential system used by the Academy, a film can secure a nomination by getting enough votes to guarantee a spot in the top 5 or 10 for Best Picture. Notice though, in 95 there's only 5 nominations, so clearly they've increased their capacity for what clarifies as a Best Picture nominee. Back to the reading. It can get those votes either by being listed first on a ballot or by being ranked lower on a ballot that is reallocated in the compl complicated redistribution process used in the nomination round. So it looks like what they're saying is they go round by round. Winner uh, pictures are knocked off and the 10 that remain become the final 10 nominations. So fewer than 40 first place votes or second or third place votes on redistrib redistributed ballots will get you a nomination for cinematography, film editing, and documentary feature, while fewer than 50 will do so in the original song and production design categories. A film will need to hit triple digits to secure a nomination only in Best Picture 
in the four acting categories. Here's the breakdown. Best Picture. The entire Academy votes to nominate for this award, including the executive producers and public relation branches and members at large, none of whom nominate in any other categories. That means 6,028 potential voters. In this category, there are two different magic numbers, the one required to clinch a nomination after the first round of counting, which is about 8.9% of the ballots cast, and the 5% threshold that will secure a nomination after the redistribution rounds are complete. If every eligible voter cast a ballot, the first number will be 549 votes, while the ultimate number to shoot for is only 301. Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actor, and Best Supporting Actress. The Actors Branch, by far the Academy's largest, has 1,176 members. A maximum of 197 votes will guarantee a nomination in the four acting categories, depending on how many eligible members vote. Best Animated Feature. The short films and feature animation branch consists of 366 members. If they all voted for the nominations, the magic number would be 61, but in the category, voting is open to volunteers from both inside and outside the branch, as long as they see 66% of the eligible films. This year, that means they had to see 13 cartoons. There are a few other ones here. I'm not going to go over all of them, because they are a little kind of repetitive. But some interesting, I'm going to just point out a few more interesting ones. Cinematography, 228 members in that branch. Magic numbers, 39. Best Director has 377 members, meaning you need 63 votes to guarantee you a nomination. Best Documentary Feature, the branch contains 210 members. But under the new rules that went into effect this year, the committees that formerly voted for nominations were abolished and all branch members became eligible to vote. If they all exercise their right to do so, the magic number would be 35. And one more I wanted to show or talk about was Best Adapted Screenplay. The Writers Branch has 378 members, which would mean that 30, 63 votes are needed to secure a nomination. However, members of other branches who have been nominated or won for writing, for example, Cameron Crowe and Ben Affleck, can also vote in that category theoretically pushing the magic number higher. Those are the theoretical numbers behind Oscar nominations. The real numbers will come into play beginning on January 8th, the final day for Academy members to vote online or to return their paper ballots to Price Waterhouse Coopers. So what you can take from this is that, although it is kind of important about how many numbers you need, members you need to vote and how many number of votes you need to win, but it changes from year to year, so it's not too set in stone, not concrete enough. I wouldn't take it too much into consideration, but this is pretty interesting to look at because I didn't know there were that many members in the Oscars, in the Academy. And then the fact that Oscar winners and former Academy Award winners can then cast votes because of their eligibility, it's pretty interesting to say the least. So I know I said, like I said, 60 minutes, but we're going to end it here because the budget's not there. CBS is going to come in and steal all my furniture, and I won't have anywhere to live. But I want to thank Professor Pope for a great semester. I want to thank everybody 
in the class this year. Uh, it was fun listening to podcasts, fun getting some knowledge and some critiques about my own podcast and my own work. So I want to thank everyone for that, and I hope everyone has a great summer. Enjoy. About your plans to make me blue With some other guy you knew before Between the two of us guys you know I love you more It took me by surprise I must say When I found out yesterday Don't you know that I heard it through the grapevine Not much longer would you be mine Oh, I heard it through the grapevine Oh, I'm just about to lose my mind Honey, honey, well I know a man ain't supposed to cry But these tears I can't hold inside Losing you within my life, you see Cause you mean that much to me You could have told me yourself That you love someone else Instead I heard it through the grapevine Not much longer would you be mine Oh, I heard it through the grapevine And I'm just about to lose my mind Honey, honey, well People say believe half of what you see Son and none of what you hear But I can't have been confused if it's true please tell me dear do you plan to let me go for the other guy you loved before don't you know i heard it through the grapevine not much longer would you be mine baby i heard it through the grapevine Ooh, I'm just about to lose my mind, honey, honey, yeah. Honey, honey, I know that you're letting me go. Said 